thank you. Morning, everybody. Oh, that was fair. Okay. Morning. I've been asked to tell you a little bit about Radka. Radka has a wall. Well, she has part of a wall, but we'll show you that in a minute. Um, to start with, Hazel and I went to Bulgaria, as we do, in July of this year. And just as we were due to come back home, a lady called Genka, who we have a lot to do with, um, and that's Genka on the screen with her husband, Ivan. She is a wonderful woman of God. She really is. So just before we were coming away, she came up to Hazel and I and she said, I don't know if you feel this is appropriate for you, but we've been approached by social services. And uh, the social worker has a lady who she is very, very concerned about. Not so much the lady herself, but because of the situation that she's in. Um, she, just to give you a little bit of background, Radka is, we think, kind of late 60s, but she actually looks a lot older, which isn't unusual for the, the older people in Bulgaria. And she lives in a typical little Bulgarian house. And when I say little, I mean little. It's tiny, tiny. And when we went, there were the, uh, there was Hazel, myself, Genka, and Genka's daughter, who was translating for us, and Radka. And we were standing in Radka's room, and we were squashed like sardines. But anyway, she lives in this house. It's 150 years old, and it's built traditionally, which means that it's, it's made of mud and straw. Yeah, I know, mud and straw. So it's actually falling to, to pieces. But the, the reason why we were asked to go was because the wall, the main wall in her bedroom had pretty much collapsed completely. And she has, uh, she had a daughter who was married and they had two very, very young children. But her daughter had died a couple of years ago, leaving her with a son-in-law and these two children. They'd had, they were living in this tiny house, but they'd had to move out because of the situation with the wall. Okay. We've got some photographs. I'll just whiz through, through some of the photographs with you. Because of the way it's constructed, when it rains, the wall had just literally disintegrated. And the pictures that you're going to see are of the bedroom and the wall. Just there's nothing there. And I don't know if anybody of you know Bulgaria, but even in the summer, they have some absolutely awesome storms. And it rains buckets, shed loads. And then it'll stop and everything's wonderful. But every time it rained, the rain was not only pouring in, but so was half the wall every time it rained because it's only mud and straw. So we've just got some, some pictures. This was the unveiling of the wall. When we walked in, we couldn't see anything because there was a, a kind of a, a bed throw that was over the whole wall. And Radka just stood by this wall and lifted the curtain back and all we could see was this great big hole. Thanks, Elena. The, the post, you'll see this post. Um, it, it's a prop that a neighbor had very kindly put up for her, basically to stop the whole of the room and possibly the house collapsing. Um, as I said, Radka has family, but her daughter actually died. Her son and the two kids, her son-in-law and the two kids had to move out because of the state of the property. They were living in rented accommodation, which they couldn't afford, and they were getting no support, but they didn't have any choice. Radka has no money. And when I say no money, she has no money. She had um, approached social services. She'd approached everybody, and nobody was able to help her. Um, uh, what else was I going to say? Um, yeah, she had, she, because of the state of the wall, she'd asked a plumber to come along and he charged her an extortionate amount which she'd had to get a loan for which she couldn't afford and he did a botch job he came through a bit of cement I don't know at the roof and went away with her money and there was no difference to the wall and that's the bottom of the prop it's really th the wall the, the room was so small it was difficult to get a, a, a decent angle on the pictures that's looking through to the hole in the roof. It's quite a big hole where the water was coming in. 
and I can't tell you how it rains out there. It really rains. So when we went, that's looking at the house, that's Radka's roof that you can see, but it's looking at it from a property that was the other side the wall. So they'd rebuilt the flat wall that you can see, so they were all right, thank you, but Radka's wall at the other side of it was just completely disintegrating. So she said to, she'd said to us, can anybody help me please? We turned up and we were standing on the pavement to meet her and she just burst into tears. The fact that somebody had bothered to turn up. We hadn't said a word, we'd never met this lady before, but she was just so grateful that we'd turned up. She didn't care what we did, just the fact that we'd turned up was amazing to her. These pictures now are where we had said, we can't promise to do anything. We don't know whether the house is condemned. We don't know whether it's repairable, but we will ask. That's all we can do. We can't promise anything at all. So we came back to Junction 10, and we just happened to be talking to Vicky about it, just in conversation. And Vicky was saying, well, have you got some quotes? And at that time we had, and it was going to be the equivalent of 600 pounds to completely redo it. That's basically knocking the wall down, redoing the whole of the roof. And uh, Vicky had said, well, why don't, you, why don't you ask the church if the church will pay? And so I spoke to Rob, Rob Reed, and the answer came back straight away, yes, the church will pay. So we got quotes, it, it, the quotes came 600 pounds. And these are the pictures of the builder, bless him, who has completely redone the roof. Yeah. So it's all done. Radka is absolutely ecstatic. And that's thanks to you. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Because the need was so urgent, we couldn't say, well, okay, we'll come back and we'll do some fundraising, and in six months' time, we might have enough or we might not, we don't know. We couldn't do that. There was a need, and we had to do it. We had to meet it. So it's real, a real huge, huge thanks to Junction 10 that they agreed to give us the money and the work got done. But it just reminded me when I was thinking about this of Isaiah, the quote from Isaiah, that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. Now, it's okay to say, well, Radka, she doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't know him. But I really don't think that us going in and saying, actually, yeah, your wall's a mess, but have you heard about the Lord? Absolutely no way. She had an agenda, and in her shoes, I'd have had an agenda as well. So what we could do was to go and meet that need. And that's not because of us. That's because of who God is, because she had prayed, send me somebody. Well, she got us, but she got God as well, and God met that need, and that's amazing. And to me, the most amazing thing is that not only has she got her walls sorted, and she is ecstatic about it, but it's a tremendous testimony. Because every, a lot of people knew the, the, the plight that she was in, and now she's got a new wall and a new roof, and people are going to say to her, who did that then? Well, it was through social services, through this lady called Genka, who, they'd ne who she'd never met, and then through this church in this other country. Well, why do they do that then? And there you go. So that's far more of a witness than us just saying, right, okay, sit down, let's talk to you about Jesus first, and then we'll get to your wall. No chance. But please just pray for her, and pray for the witness and the testimony that that wall and the roof will give to people in the area and the openings that it will give to Genka to be able to, to talk about the work that the Lord does. Thank you. Yeah. 
it's, it's super to be back here. We haven't been to Junction 10 for um, many, many years. So I think it was back in the Jesus 2000 days when we spoke. So uh, it's an absolute privilege to, to come back. So thank you for having us. Don't give Chris the mic. It'll never, never, never get it back at all. But uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, bless you as a church. It's great to visit you on tour in Beechdale. You know, I mean, uh, tracked you down, you know. I mean, so it's great to be with you. Um, Jane uh, has spoken to you already this morning, and uh, Jane is uh, one of the board members of Crassy Fade. So she's, she's one of us, as well as one of you, so to speak. And, uh, and as you heard, Mary and others... And, we just want to say right at the start, a big thank you to you as a church. It's a, it's a thank you morning. I mean, Radka's wall, brilliant. But thank you. You support Crassivade and the work in Bulgaria every month as a church. We're so grateful to you for that. It really does help. It makes a huge, huge difference. Your prayers make a difference. I know a number of you particularly have a real prayer burden for the work in Bulgaria. And thank you because, you know, we can do the stuff out there, but actually without prayer. You know, the power can so often be lacking. So we're, we're really grateful for the partnership we have with you at, at Junction 10. And uh, although we don't see you very often, you are very warmly in our hearts as a church as well. And uh, bless you as you uh, look forward to the future together as well. We're going to take you a little bit of a history lesson this morning. We're actually going to talk that, that last song where we were singing, you know, I will trust in you. That's, if you like, our message this morning. Um, it's, you're going to hear a lot about Bulgaria. You're going to hear a little bit about us this morning. But, but if you like, the message this morning is all about relying on God. Relying on God. That's, that's the theme for this morning. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in a moment, if you've got your Bibles handy. But we're going to take you on a bit of history lesson and a, a bit of looking back. Yes, I was 60 this year. I'm a grandfather. I've been married to a... Married for 40 years to my dear little wife, you know. So it is not... Who's also a grandma. Yeah, yeah. When did that happen? You know, I'm still, I'm still 25 in here somewhere, you know. So it's... Uh, but we're going to take... He doesn't look 25 after a day with the grandchildren, okay. <laughs> we're going to take you on a little bit of a, a, of a trip down memory lane this morning as well. And we're taking you back first to the... Uh, well, actually, just to mention Crassivay, just to remind you, in case you don't know, that that's what we do. We reach out with Christian love, serving and partnering in Eastern Europe, particularly Bulgaria. That's our big, big place. You'll hear more about that. And um, but that's, that, that's what Crassivay is all about. But we're going to take you back to the winter of 1989, which uh, some of you weren't born then, but uh, most I think most of you probably were. I mean. Uh, um, and that was, of course, a highly significant winter in Europe. And it was a highly significant winter in our lives, too. That's when we began, as Mary mentioned, we began our mission career by shipping off with our two kids, who were eight and ten at the time, to live in Amsterdam for five years. Um, there we are, Amsterdam. And uh, you'll see a few red lights glowing out of the windows there. I don't think I need to tell you an awful lot about Amsterdam. I think you know its reputation. And uh, we were going out there to run, a, a, as a family, to be house parents, running uh, a community, taking folks in who were troubled by the issues of Amsterdam. And uh, to say it was a baptism of fire for us would have been a, an understatement, probably, coming from a kind of nice middle-class setting in rural Oldridge, you know, and all of a sudden finding ourselves working in the red light district of Amsterdam. So, yeah, a big, big shock to the system. This was uh, September of 1989. We went out there to serve God. And, uh, but, of course, if you remember your history, November of 1989 was a hugely significant moment. And I think the next picture will remind you that the Berlin Wall fell after being in place for 27 years, dividing East and West Berlin, dividing in many ways Eastern Europe and Western Europe, dividing the world um, by its domination. We'd obviously heard lots of stories about the Berlin Wall, but, you know, it was something we only ever saw on the television or films about it. And, you know, the, the media, we see so much in films that we, we become a little bit numb, I think, to the things that are actually real 
in our world, a little bit far removed, but real. And we decided, we were living in Amsterdam, we thought, okay, we're over the channel, we, we're on the same piece of land, let's take our two young children to see this Berlin Wall. So we got on a train and we went to Berlin and we stayed in West Berlin and it was so beautiful and glitzy and bright lights and wonderful and we thought, now where's this wall? And we walked through the tear garden to go and find the wall and we thought, where is everybody? What's all this big fuss been about? It was a bitter, bitter cold day. It was January, there was ice on the ground. As we approached the wall, we began to hear in a distance, choo, 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 and it got louder and louder. And when we got to the wall, they never needed a bulldozer to demolish the Berlin Wall. People took that wall down with hammers and chisels, piece by piece. And you could almost see how they were taking away a bit of what this wall had represented in their lives. This division for West Berlin and East Berlin. This wall that had completely separated families. It went up overnight. And one day, you'd lost your cousins. You'd lost your brothers. You were either in West Berlin or East Berlin. And there was no way of getting to each other. That's how significant... Can you imagine that happening here and now? A wall going up that separated you instantly from your family. We went through Checkpoint Charlie from West Berlin into East Berlin. And it was like a 50-year time warp. It was like, goodness, it was like a bomb had just dropped. It was derelict. It was falling apart. And that day... God planted seeds for us without us knowing what was going to happen for Eastern Europe. We had no idea. We'd sold up our house. We'd gone to Amsterdam for life, we thought. We didn't think we were ever coming back. But God sowed seeds in us that visit for East, Eastern Europe, and which is what we now are so passionate about. Eight years later, Jesus 2000 as a project came to Walsall, and you remember many of us were involved with that. You as a church were very, very much involved with Jesus 2000, and the work into Bulgaria got launched in that period, and, uh, and yes, you, you have your roots in Krasivade too because of your involvement in those days. And uh, for us, uh, in, uh, September, in um, December of uh, 1998, we made our first trip to Bulgaria and fell in love with the country, the people. We were challenged immensely by the, by the difficulties and the problems of that nation. And we've been back 60 times since, and we ain't finished yet, as the saying goes. Actually, back in 1998, most of Bulgaria looked like Radka's Wall. That was what Bulgaria was like. I'm going to read a few, we're going to look together at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, just a few verses from uh, that passage this morning. And for us, 2 Corinthians 1 is one of our key life scriptures. Do you, do you have these? Do you have ones which just, you know, that's one that God gave me? And for us, 2 Corinthians 1 is, is one of those. It's talking about the God of all comfort, but actually don't be misled by the passage at the start of 2 Corinthians 1. It's got a lot more than comfort involved. It's a powerful message about who God is and how we need to trust and rely on him. It begin, Verse 3, I'm reading uh, in 2 Corinthians 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The, pic the next picture is uh, one of my favorite pictures. That's, the, uh, that's an image of the prodigal son returning to his dad, to his father, you know. And to me, it's a powerful, powerful picture of the love of God extended. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever you've got wrong, that God's love is powerful and his arms are open wide waiting for us 
to receive the comfort. And, and that's a God, the God of all comfort that this passage talks about. And, you know, the older I get, you know, the more I do realize that this is not a, a great world we live in, that we, it is a world with all sorts of difficult and problems. It's a world where each of us can say, well, yeah, I have a list of things which I need God to work on too, you know, and it isn't easy at times, you know, but actually the older I get, the more attractive the loving arms of God one day are going to welcome us into his into heaven, into eternity, it looks more attractive every year as it goes by, in my opinion. The enemy tries to make us look powerless, doesn't he? And to make us feel powerless in this world that we live in. And I think that's because we look at the immense need and don't do what Jane and Hazel did. They saw one woman in desperate need and they helped her. We help people one by one, little by little. It's when we think we've got to solve the whole world's problems that it paralyzes us. We can't pray. We think, we sat there the other morning and we, having our quiet time and praying, and we thought, what really is the point of little old Brian and Chris R Clark of Lumley Road praying for the world, praying for Syria? Praying for all those refugees. What is the point? Who are we? Well, we have that power of prayer to do. We have an almighty God. And if we all pray for Syria, if we all pray for this world we live in, we will see a change. Don't be paralyzed by the big picture. Do what you can. There's a little phrase that says, do what you can, when you can, however you can, whenever you can. Do what you can do. Well, I'll just look at the map for a moment. Because there's little Bulgaria right down in the corner of Europe. Mr. Cameron was there for a couple of days at the end of this week, which was a bit of a surprise. And uh, I think he didn't think he actually knew where Bulgaria was, Mr. Cameron. But, uh, um, but you know, it's, it's such a significant place in Europe because, of course, Right next door is Turkey, and right next door to Turkey is Syria. Where do all the migrants come from? Where's everybody traipsing through? They're avoiding Bulgaria like the plague. You know why that is? Because when a migrant comes into Europe, the first country they register in becomes their basic European home. Nobody wants to stop at home in Bulgaria because it's still tough. Romania's the same. These are countries that the migrants are avoiding because they don't want to be registered in those areas. But it's an absolute crucial part in, in, in the picture of Europe right now. Let's just tell you about, Bul you know, you probably, you may know something about Bulgaria, but because you as a church support the work, we want to really just remind you a little bit about the, the history. So uh, just flip through some slides here. Bulgaria began in 681 AD. That was the first time it appeared in the, uh, in the annals of history. And um, in 850, King Boris got up one morning and decided, we're going to be a Christian nation. If you don't agree, um, and they've been a Christian nation ever since. 80, over 80% 80 of Bulgarians regard themselves as Christians. It's the Eastern Orthodox stream of Christianity, which is rather like the Catholic. So a lot of candles involved with it and all that, you know, I mean, but, uh, but they are a Christian nation. There's no question about that in history. Moving on, things didn't go well, though. They then ended up completely dominated by the Turks. 500 years they were dominated by the Turkish Ottoman Empire. Um, they, they, if, you, if you've ever been to Bulgaria, you'll notice that most of the properties had huge, huge walls at the front. And you just think, oh, you know, quite boring. They don't just walk out onto the street like we do. It's because the walls were there to, to protect their homes. Everybody had guard dogs. Everybody had a big wall. They had doors through to the next door neighbors so that they hadn't got to go out onto the streets where it was incredibly dangerous. They were ruled with a rod of iron by the Turks for 500 years. And then they thought, hmm, 
Russia might be the answer to our problems. And as the UK and other parts of Europe, we helped the Russians invade. We helped them take over Bulgaria. And then they became dominated by 50 years plus of the Ottoman, of the, the communist, of communism. Their beautiful homes that they'd had were taken from them and they were put in one of these high-rise blocks, which most people, if they're... To be honest, it's a privilege to live in a mud and straw. They find that a privilege to live in a house like that and not be in one of these. They might be bigger, they haven't got holes in it, but they're crawling with cockroaches. And so, moving on... Um through Berlin, that was the point where Eastern Europe said, now we really are going to be free. Unfortunately, all the dreams that many had at that point, they hadn't actually delivered. And there was a lot of discouragement and disappointment in Eastern Europe because of those, what was they're expecting after 1989. Moving on, 1996, the country went bankrupt, literally. 300,000 people died out of a population of under 8 million in 1996 through starvation, poverty, and related causes. Um, inflation was 2,000% overnight. Can you imagine ladies going shopping? And they couldn't fill a trolley because the stuff wasn't in the shops before, but can you imagine the trip to Morrison's or wherever? You fill your trolley one day and pay for it. The next day... Overnight, 2,000% inflation, you can barely afford a loaf of bread. I, we can't grasp it. It's just an impossible thing to even believe because of the world that we live in. 2,000% inflation overnight. People were dying. And again, 2007... Bulgaria remained to join the EU. Everything sorted, no problem. Afraid not quite the picture. Final one, I think, there. Okay. In joining the EU has a path for Bulgaria and Romania. Unfortunately, all the prices in the shops now are very similar to here in the UK. They have all the wonderful supermarkets and stores, but the average pay for Bulgaria is £50 a week. That's a quarter of the minimum wage here in the UK. That's how they're trying to survive, many, many people. No wonder so many want to leave and come, come to the West. The orphanages have been closing, which is good, and new safe house projects. Next one. And the Blue House, we're going to tell you a little bit about that next, because uh, Jay mentioned Genka, the lady uh, in the picture there. Genka is indeed a wonderful woman of God who is God's lady, a key lady in the town of Sliven. She has incredible links to so many, many different people. The Blue House is our flagship project that we're supporting. You're helping to support the Blue House. And it's linked to the Baptist Church in Sliven. It's uh, very much known as a, as a Christian centre there. And it provides a range of welfare services to the community of Sliven. We're going to tell you about one or two of the things they're doing. We have a team of nurses that go out into the community and also offer massage. It's not a massage parlour like Amsterdam, but it offers massage. And it's actually vital because they, a lot of people, they don't have the money for medicine. So if you've got a bad back in Bulgaria, massage is a big thing. If you go to your GP in Bulgaria for this service, it's 40 lev. The Blue House does it for eight lev. So that's, it's, it could work nine till five, seven days a week, and never be short of people coming. It's a desperate, desperate need. Also the medically, the, the, the terminally ill, you get 10 days in hospital in Bulgaria if you have cancer, terminal cancer. You're then sent home and told, let your family look after you. And most of their family have left the country in search of a better life. So our nurses go into their homes and help them in, in ways. You know, how do we preach the gospel? By building a wall, by repairing a roof, by being the hands and feet of Jesus with the sick. 
That is how we preach the gospel. How sad if we can't actually help those needs. That's more preaching than actually just sitting down and telling them about the Bible. Uh, the centre runs disabled day groups because, again, you know, the things we expect as normal here are just not available in, the, in Eastern Europe in the same way. Social integration is a really tough issue they're still working on. It's an issue here at times, but in Bulgaria, you can imagine how difficult that might be. The next one. <laughs> we always fight over the mic. It's okay, don't worry. The cottage industry, you'll see stuff that we have for sale um, out in the foyer. Um, some of it I've made, but most of it has been made in Bulgaria. It is all to support Krasif and the work out there. Some of the stuff I've made is because we've actually sold out of what they'd made and we're still coming up to Christmas. We've been great. We've sold about £4,000 worth since April, which is fantastic. The idea is to help them help themselves. If, you, if you're feeling hard up today, you might be, um, just think of somebody coming to you and giving you a £5 note. It feels nice, doesn't it, the first time? You feel blessed somebody's remembered you. Next week, you're hard up again. The fiver comes. The week after, the fiver comes. How do you eventually feel if somebody keeps giving you the money? You feel, well, I know how I would feel. And as being part of YWAM, at times we've been in that position. You feel embarrassed. You feel like, I'd like to help myself. It's exactly what they do. Their art and craft skills are absolutely incredible. And the desire is to help these cottage industry grow so that they can support themselves. We have glass fusing, ceramics. If you think you're too old to help Bulgaria today, the, the eldest lady that's been out there with us working is 81. She set up a project for the needlework out there, the Christmas table runners, the Christmas stars. 81 years of age. She didn't start being a missionary in Africa till she was nearly 60. 15 years in the bush, then two years in Australia, and now Bulgaria. We never retire in God's kingdom. The next one. The uh, Mary and many other UK professionals have been out to Bulgaria running seminars, training events, just trying to raise standards. You know, they know the path they're supposed to be following in Bulgaria, but they're not getting the help to get there. And, uh, and we've often heard, uh, one, uh, often heard said to us, you know, that Krasif people are different. The government and others tell us what we should do. Krasif people come and show us how to do it. That's so important, and they know it's God's people doing those things. I say, like Mary did with the, uh, with the, the. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the human trafficking. We're actually involved there, and almost that links us back to our Amsterdam days. Do you know that seventy percent of the Bulgarian prostitutes in Amsterdam come from Sliven? Seventy percent come from Sliven where the Blue House is. And we've, um, we started by doing seminars out there to try to raise awareness in Sliven. We're now working with the government and the churches, the NGOs, and we just put on a conference in the autumn where someone from the UK went out. 67 people per day coming from all over Bulgaria to be addressed by this issue, to see what we can do to help. It's an Please pray for us because we don't know where this is going yet, but it's going somewhere. And each year we have lots of team, well, lots of number of teams who will go out just to bring love, just to bless children in homes. You know, if you think I've got nothing to offer, well, you know, if you can give a kid a cuddle and play play ball. Why not join a team? I challenge you today. You know, think about it. You know, would love you to come and see firsthand some of the things that are going on. Bulgaria is still a challenging place to be. The God of all comfort cares for Bulgaria. He cares for us, but he cares for Eastern Europe. He's brokenhearted to see people wanting just to escape and to come away from there. They say that the population in Bulgaria will fall from 
nearly 8 million to below 5 million in the next 30 to 40 years because of migration. You know, it's a wonderful place, but we need to help people love it and stay there and be blessed by their own country. In the 2 Corinthians 1 passage, it talks about patience, patient endurance. It says in verse 6, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Have you been comforted in your life over something that you were going through? Have you felt that comfort from God? That is so that you can show that comfort, so that you can pass it on to someone else. God brings us through issues to use us to then build his kingdom. It's usually a painful process, isn't it? We often talk about, we talk a lot about the stories that we've um, experienced in our life. And um, we were in a prayer meeting once when somebody actually started praying for, for us and said, oh God, keep giving them stories to help us. And I opened one eye and I said, do you not think we've had enough? They're always painful. They always hurt at the time. But when God brings us through, we're stronger. What are you having to be patient for at the moment? What are you having to endure at the moment? You know, probably the most powerful um, story of patient endurance that I've heard in the last number of years happened just, just, just over five years ago in Chile. And uh, do you remember the, uh, the Chile miners who got trapped in, uh, in that mine, at the San, San Jose mine in, in Chile. The 5th of August, there was an explosion. Uh, come back a bit, back one, please. 5th of August, there was an explosion at the San Jose mine, and, uh, and there were men down in the mine. They, 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 they had no idea at that point whether any of the people in underground were safe or not. And it took 17 days by drilling these small boreholes down before they got, finally got this picture of a face. And a note came up saying, we are safe, all of us, 33, in, in the safe area. They didn't know that for 17 days. Can you, can you imagine that to start with, being trapped underground for 17 days? They were five kilometers from the, en from the entrance of the mine. They were 700 meters underground, you know, can you imagine what that must have been like? No hope, really, of ever getting out as far as they were concerned. After 17 days, they found them. But it didn't end there, of course. It took 69 days to bore a tunnel large enough down to them to reach the men. And I don't, I don't remember the, the, that's the, uh, the fire. 13th of October, 2010. I didn't get any sleep that night. It, I mean, I it was live on the television. I don't know whether people watched this. But I sat up all night watching. As one by one, they lowered that capsule down. And each of those 33 men were drawn up out of, the, out of the ground. I'm not the emotional one in this partnership. You know, I'm the straight guy and Chris does the tears. That's how it normally works. But I cried as this happened because of the imagery and the uh, and the issues that, that that brought up in me, you know, can you, you know, these were men, 33 men who were lost, and then they were found. They came from the depths back to the heights, from darkness into light, from imprisonment to freedom, from death to new life. You know, for me, it just reminded me completely of what Jesus does for each one of us. You know, he's the one who rescues us. Wherever we've been, whatever we've been through, whatever deep, dark hole we're in, Jesus brings us out. We're going to tell you a few of the quotes or remind you of a few of the quotes that the miners said. One, uh, miner number two comes up and says, I was with God and the devil they fought and God won. The oldest man in the mine 
he stepped out and just said, as he fell to his knees, I've come back to life. But I think for me, the one that touched me the most um, was Minor 24. He was the evangelical preacher. He'd worked in the mines for 33 years in order to provide the funding for him to be a pastor. I just think, wow. I know what mining is like. I come from an area in this country where there used to be mines. Many of my neighbours that I grew up had been miners. Many of them lost their lives to emphysema because they'd been down the mine. And this pastor worked down a mine for 33 years to fund him to be the pastor. And he actually said, all of this time has been for such a time as this. I was able to keep the spirits of the men alive. Wow. 33 years of digging out in a mine to say for that one small time, all of it is worth it because I've been there and been able to help. I'm sure some of us at times are trapped in situations where we feel like, is this all life's about? I'm sure he thought that at different times over those 33 years. But if we give our lives to God, if we give whatever we're going through to God and say, God, please bring glory out of it. Please bring people to you out of this. Don't let this be for nothing. Even when we're still down the mine, even when it's still tough, ask God to bring something out of it because he will. He will change your life and he will touch people's lives around you. The uh, chaplain to the president of Chile was interviewed after this had happened. And he, s and he said this. He said, all 33 men emerged from the mine with either a new or renewed faith in God. Many were Catholics, but many had no faith at all. But they all said this. We were not 33 in the mine. We were 34 because Jesus Christ was with us. You know, whether it's here in Walsall, whether it's in Bulgaria, wherever it is in the world that God places you, we need to be those who say, we are not our, on our own here. We have Jesus Christ with us. I pray you never have, an ex never have to have an experience like those miners. I don't want one like that. But I want to I say that whatever God takes you through, whatever you're facing now, believe the truth that Jesus Christ is with you. Romans 8, who, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We allow things to separate us at times. We allow the hardships that we go through, the difficult times, to create the barrier. God doesn't withdraw his love. We allow that, whoa, what's happening to me? Why hasn't God done something yet? And we allow that wall to be built. I I can only ask people to take the walls down today and to do Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
because you are with me. Because God will come down the mine with you. God will come into the dark places that some of you will be in. A church of this size, there will be dark places in your life at the moment. There will be difficult times. Bring God into it and let him do something amazing in your life. Comfort you so that you can comfort others. We're going to draw to a close in a moment. Uh, But the passage in 2 Corinthians 1 ends up with this incredibly powerful verses uh, about relying upon God. And again, I think one of the things I, I do know now at my age in life is that even if we're not having a battle today, there's probably going to be another one that shows up at some point. You know, that's reality. That's, that, you know, that, that's the way it is. You know, it isn't heaven yet here on earth. One day it will be, but not there yet. So the battles continue. And uh, for us, I think we had to learn right at the start of our ministry 26 years ago who was in charge, who we were trusting, who we were relying upon. You know, we got sent out from our church here in Walsall to go and serve God in Amsterdam. It took about two and a half years of preparation before they let us go. And uh, by the time we were ready to go, we were totally and utterly convinced that this was God's calling on our lives. You know, and, um, you know, if you'd have asked us at the time, we'd have probably been kind of saying, you know, well, you know, watch out Amsterdam because Brian and Chris are coming and you're about to repent from your evil ways and turn to Christ. You know, I mean, that we never, wouldn't have said that to you, you know, but probably there was something in there that, you know, we knew God had called us to, the, to that city to do that stuff. We had this amazing experience of visiting Berlin and knowing that God had done something very, very special at that time. But just two weeks later, we were, in, we were uh, in Amsterdam. We were going across town to the staff conference for the mission, for Youth of the Mission, who we were working for. And it was a really wild, we had wild storms in the last couple of days. It was, it was a bit like that in Amsterdam at that, at that um, time. You can probably move on. Uh, there you go. Stormy picture of Amsterdam. Um, we were walking across the city, but of course we'd only been there Three or four months, we didn't understand Dutch particularly. We hadn't heard the weather warnings. We didn't realize because Holland is so flat that when it blows there, it is really, really dangerous. And uh, we were walking across the city to, to, the, to this conference, and we got to an exposed point. There were five of us together, exposed points on one of the canal bridges, and this huge gust hit us. Me and the other folks were knocked onto the floor, but Chris was literally picked up by the wind and blown from here to the, to the back wall and a head smashed against this wall. I had to crawl across the, the ground. It was blowing so much to get to her. She was slumped over some bicycle railings. And when I pulled her back onto the ground, she's lying, Chris is lying there in front of me. Her eyes are wide open and she wasn't breathing. Well, if you want to know a a good prayer to pray at a particularly difficult time, God help is pretty good, you know. And, uh, well, as you can see, she is still here, um, but slightly battered still today. Still a little battered. I have the bone-anchored hearing aid, which they now can help. I had a fractured skull. It completely completely upset my hormonal system and sadly today I still suffer with a hormone imbalance I still have to take medication and the doctor says probably will be on it for life however I'm alive I'm here I'm walking I can still serve God we can still serve God with our imperfections and our difficulties but the time that followed that accident was a real tough time for us. I couldn't walk a straight line for two months. I couldn't have, couldn't have possibly got from here to there because there was no wall to hold on to. I'd lost my hearing so suddenly that I'd lost all balance. So life was a bit different for us. We tried to carry on, fulfil the calling. We stayed in Amsterdam. We didn't go home. And uh, 
And actually, in many ways, my recovery period took me into a time of being so close to God that I wonder if I'd have ever had had the accident not happened. And the one day I was lying in bed praying and I felt that God gave me this picture of a raging fire in front of me. There were two paths to God. There was one through the center of the fire. There was one through the edge, round the edge. I needed to see both paths that day because when I was growing up as a child, my dad was very much the one that's quite Victorian, that if I didn't do it right, he withdrew his love. He had a way of bringing on the silent treatment that really, really hurt me desperately. And I hadn't realized, but I'd put that picture onto God. The picture that if I don't do this for you, God, then you're not going to love me, are you? And God said to me that day, there are two paths to me, Chris. There's one round the edge. There's one through the middle. And it's your choice. And I love you, whichever path you take. I needed to hear that. But I said, okay, God, I'm coming through the fire. I didn't wait to ask Brian first. I just said I'd come through the fire. <laughs> Boy, that year was a baptism of fire for us. And we had to learn to rely on God in a way that we never had before. So 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 9 said this. And you may notice a slight difference to the original text as I, as I read this, okay? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Amsterdam. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You might want to put your own province into that scripture. It might be Walsall for you. It might be for Bulgaria for some of us. It might be other parts of the world, you know, where the battles rage, where it's tough and difficult. And without God, there is little, little hope at all. But we have a God who can raise the dead. We have a God we can trust and rely on. We have a God who is that hiding place we sang about, who we can trust in him. That's the God that we follow. That's the God that we rely on. Thank you for helping us uh, do what we do. We're nothing special. And that's why I can really, again, challenge you today. Come join us. You know, give us a hand. We'd love to have you. And, uh, and God bless you as you, as a church, continue to follow him faithfully in all that you do. And you can't be too young or too old. Our youngest member last year was five. Our eldest on the same team was 81. Amen. <laughs>